This morning we continue our series, Seasons of Waiting This Morning. Seasons of Waiting This Morning. Seasons of Waiting. So we've been uh, engaging in this series on seasons of life, as you, if you're a visitor, have picked up on. Uh, my family and I are in the midst of a transitional season. Uh, we're going to be uh, the new, I'm going to be the new teaching pastor at a Journey Church in Bozeman uh, starting in September-ish. And so um, we're beginning to be in the season of transition. There's lots of boxes in our house. Um, we put our house on the market. And in 24 hours, had an offer, which is how Big Sky works, apparently. Um, and so we're in a season of transition. Um, and aptly, I think we're in a season of waiting as a church, waiting and watching for what God will do next, who he will bring. And so in the midst of this series, I think this is a very poignant sermon for today. How many of you like to wait? Anybody like to wait? I, I don't like waiting. Recently we were at Disney World with our kiddos. We had a much needed break and got down to do a wedding down there in West Palm Beach. And then we went up and we spent a couple days at Disney World. And if you go to Disney World, here's a quick tip for you. There are these magic bands that you can get in the mail ahead of time. And you can enter your information on them. You can even attach your credit card to it. So you can like magically walk up to the cash register and magically spend way magic more money than you want to, right? Um, but what they also do is they allow you to have a fast pass, which a lot of people think is something you pay extra for. It's not. If you have a ticket to Disney World, you get fast passes, three of them per day. And what a fast pass is, is essentially there's two lines, right? If, so you want to go on Space Mountain and you walk up to Space Mountain and you see a wait time that will say like 70 minutes or 90 minutes. When, and, and if you think you're like, oh, I've got a four and six year old, this is going to be enjoyable, right? 90 minutes of waiting in line for Space Mountain. Or if you have a fast pass, you walk past all those miserable people who are waiting in line. You get lots of bad looks as you're going and you hop right on to pretty much right onto the ride, right? And if you play it correctly, as Todd Meredith taught me how to do, if you use up your first three fast passes, you can then add a fourth fast pass and then another fast pass and another fast pass until they cut you off. And I don't even know how many you can get until they cut you off. But Daddy was doing some work on his app, okay? We fast passed and fast passed and fast passed. You want to know why? I hate waiting. I don't like waiting. We had to wait in the regular line for the slinky dog ride. And I'm like, this is awful. The ride was worth it. But 40 minutes of waiting with a four and six year old, like I need it. I need it now, right? Uh, there was this pass that got really popular last year on the mountain called the Icon Pass. Really popular, right? Everybody's so happy about it. I guess some people are like booing it, like mad right now, right? And one of the things that I heard on the mountain quite a bit was, I've got to wait for the tram longer than I've ever had to wait for the tram. I can't just get on the tram, do a lap, do another lap, do another lap. Now I've got to wait for all these people with these icon passes who are getting in my line and making me wait. We're big sky. We don't wait in line. We ski lines. That's what we do, right? 
If you want to wait in line, go to Vail. If you want to wait in line, go to Copper Mountain. If you want to wait in line, go somewhere else. But here, we, we don't like to wait. In fact, I think we, we just inherently hate waiting. And here's the question, a seasonal question. When was your last season of waiting? When was your last season of waiting? Maybe it was something simple, waiting in line for the tram, waiting for something very simple. I'm looking at a couple of you, some of you, the uh, Tatums just got back from a wedding. You were waiting for that wedding day, right? And then and the day that they got proposal, there was all these things going on. You're waiting up until that day. Maybe you're... Um, We've got a pregnancy somewhere in here, and I don't see you. Where are you? You're pregnant. There you are. Okay. And you're waiting, waiting on a baby, right? And you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're like, come on, baby, right? When you get to that point, like, come on, baby. When was your last season of waiting? For some of you, it's been longer than that. Some of you have been waiting on something for a year now, two years now, ten years now. You've been waiting for something to get better. You've been waiting for a change in a situation, a change in a relationship, maybe been waiting on someone's health to change. See, see, I think waiting is a big part of life, and we all experience seasons of waiting at some point. And so the follow-up question to that is, how do you feel about waiting? How do you feel about waiting? What, is the, what are the emotions that come with waiting? Okay, raise your hand if you love waiting. Anybody love waiting? Not a single hand. I was thinking maybe there'd be somebody who'd be like, I like, I like waiting. So, okay, we're, this is a good sermon for us, right? Nobody in the room loves waiting. I was looking uh, at some articles about Amazon. Anybody like Amazon? Now I can get some hands on Amazon, right? You got, are you the Amazon Prime friend or are you like borrowing off the Amazon Prime friend? Okay, right? Okay. So Amazon Prime is money, especially if you live up here, right? It's magical. It saves you from having to drive to Bozeman all the time. We do it, right? Amazon two-day shipping. I was doing a little homework on Amazon. Guess what? Now they're going to one-day shipping. One-day shipping in Amazon, which still means two days in Big Sky. But for other people, it means one-day shipping. In fact, they have this new thing that they're coming out with on Amazon in 27 metro areas right now called Amazon Prime Now. (laughs) Which guarantees delivery of certain items in two hours. I want my pizza, I wanted it an hour, or I want my money back, right? Even Amazon says, we're going to cater to this. We know that people don't want to wait. We've got these phones, which are little mini computers that answer pretty much everything we need to know, right? My six-year-old knows if he's got a question, don't ask daddy, ask Siri, Going to get a better, better answer to that question, quicker answer to that question. Siri's never going to say, not right now, right? <laughs> Siri's going to say, yep, here's the answer. I'll give it to you whatever you need right now, right? We are a culture obsessed with not waiting. Technology has emphasized this. 
And so we get inherently more and more antsy as people about waiting. You, you and I, we have these feelings and emotions that bubble up within a strong emotions around waiting. We don't like to wait. And so what can we learn from Scripture about waiting? If seasons of waiting are inevitable, which they are, how can we wait better? So here's what I want to do this morning with our time together. I want to look at four stories, but they all have the number 40 in common. They've all got the number 40 in common. And they're 40 waiting stories and what we can learn from them in the Bible. So first, Noah. If you're trying to follow along with me, let's hop to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. Verse 17. So you know this Noah guy? You heard of him? He's a big boat, okay? So this is Noah. God comes to Noah and says, Hey, I want you to build an ark, a place of safety for you and your family and all the animals two by two. Even if you don't go to church, you know about this guy named Noah. Two by two, the animals come onto the ark. And so they get onto the ark, and this is what happens. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. I'm going to keep going. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. In the story of Noah, we learn protection can be learned in waiting. Protection can be learned in waiting. Have you ever made a bad decision because you were rushed? I have. Like, oh man, have you ever gone to a... Okay, do we have any car salesmen in here? Just raise your hand. No? Okay. Okay, good. I can, all right, I'm going after you. All right, you're not here. And even if you are, you didn't raise your hand. Perfect. Um, like car salesmen, they, they love to sell you quickly. Right? Have you ever been to a, a car lot and you feel this sense of urgency? Like if I don't buy it now, I'm not going to get the best price. And if I don't hurry up and get this taken care of right now, it's, it, it, the deal's going to go. Right? Salesmen know, salesmen and saleswomen know that urgency is helpful for them. Because it can create the sense that I need to make this decision right now. I can't wait on it. But what if somebody else gets it? Right? Um, 24 hours, our house got sold. 24 hours. Like we put it on the market, next day, full price offer. People are like, we gotta, we got to make a decision on this house. It might not last. It may not be there. I don't think the person who's buying it is making a bad decision, by the way, especially if they're watching this or listening to this later. I think it's a wonderful house. I think they made a great purchase at a wonderful price. But... <laughs> But sometimes waiting protects us. Oftentimes it protects us from ourselves. See, see, sometimes we get in a hurry, we get in a rush about decisions, about something that needs to happen in our lives. And one of the things that Noah learned is that waiting protects us. He's 40 days in this ark with these animals being protected from the chaos and the death and the destruction that is now covering the, the aquatic now earth, right? 
And Noah finds protection in the ark and he's sitting there and he's waiting. He's just waiting. Yeah, he's got some animals to feed and he's got some stuff to shovel. But honestly, him and his family are mostly waiting because God's got some other things going on. Have you ever felt like you needed to just be in a safe place because of the chaos of the world around you? Like there was a storm outside and if you went outside and you engaged in that storm, it might swallow you up. You might drown in it. There are these moments when God would say, don't go outside. Wait in the ark. Trust in my protection for you. If Noah's not in the ark, he's not protected. If he's not in there waiting on God for 40 days, he's going to die like everything around him. So what we can learn from Noah is that waiting provides protection for us. Next story. Moses. Moses teaches us that waiting helps provide clarity. Helps provide clarity at some point. So after, after Noah, there's a man named no- Mo- Moses who comes along. His mother, um, she builds this little boat for him. Funny enough, in the Hebrew, the word for that little boat is what? Ark. Isn't that interesting? Cool. Okay, so protection. So she puts him in his little mini ark because the Pharaoh is killing all of the Hebrew children. She puts him out into the stream. He floats down to the palace. Palace daughter picks him up and says, I'm going to raise this child, Moses. And Moses is raised for 40 years in the palace. After those 40 years, he gets a little agitated one day when he sees an Egyptian mistreating one of his own, the Israelites. And he kills the guy. And so he has to run away. And he ends up in the wilderness for, you guessed it, 40 more years. Moses goes to the wilderness for 40 years. While he's in the wilderness, uh, he's shepherding, which um, here's what a shepherd does. They get up, they check on their sheep, and that's what they do, right? That's kind of what they do. Like shepherd, you don't have a lot going on when you're a shepherd, right? You're, all you're doing is making sure, hey, okay, all of my sheep are here. Oh, every once in a while I got a problem, but okay, all the sheep are here today. Let's make sure they have food. Let's make sure they have water. But a shepherd sits around a lot. A shepherd has a lot of time to think. A shepherd just waits and waits and waits and waits. And you've got to imagine that in this waiting, Moses got clearer and clearer and clearer until this burning bush appears and God's voice comes to him and says, I've got something for you to do. Sometimes, sometimes waiting provides clarity. It says this in Acts 7. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. It took 40 years of waiting for Moses until God said, now is the time. Do you ever feel distracted? Do you ever feel like there's all kinds of mixed messages in your life? Do you ever feel like it's hard to hear the voice of God? The last year, 
Last year, we committed to listening for the voice of God. That's what we did all year long. Honestly, last year was a year of sort of waiting. It was a year of waiting. It was just listening for the voice of God through prayer and through scripture. And I don't know about you, but throughout the year, I got more and more clarity in terms of hearing the voice of God. And sometimes waiting is the only thing that will help clarify God's voice in your life. We have such a hectic and chaotic world that is throwing voices at us, telling us what to do, uh, what to wear, what to eat, how to act, how to raise our kids, what schools to go to, how we can succeed in our career. And sometimes we need to wait so we can get some clarity. God, what do you want? Sometimes I engage with some of you and and you'll say, boy, I haven't heard the voice of God in a while and I want to hear the voice of God. Well, one of the ways to hear the voice of God is to wait upon him. That's not one of my more popular answers to that question, by the way. Number three, the Israelites. The Israelites. What the Israelites learn is dependence. I think this is one of the biggest ones, is dependence. So, Moses, he does 40 years in the desert. He goes uh, to the burning bush, and the burning bush, a voice comes out and says, you're going to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. So, Moses goes, says, let my people go. Uh, They finally get to go, and guess what happens to Moses and the people again? He gets to wander around in the desert for 40 more years. How great is that? Like, hey, what did you do with most of your life, Moses? You're like the most impressive guy in the Old Testament. Well, I waited a lot. I wandered around tending sheep, and then I wandered around tending people who were complaining pretty much the whole time, right? So the Israelites, they spent 40, 40 years in the wilderness. Listen to this verse from Joshua, Joshua 5, 6, and 7. The Israelites had moved about the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their places, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. So the really interesting piece here is you've got a whole generation of people who know slavery and they know work and they don't know waiting. And what happens when they get out into the wilderness is they immediately begin complaining. In fact, there's accounts of them saying to Moses, we had it better in Egypt. We had it better in slavery. And God says, wow, you guys are missing the point. What I'm trying to teach you is dependence. And because you don't understand, I'm going to make you wait and wait and wait. In fact, I'm going to make you wait so long that a whole generation is going to die until I can find a generation that's going to wait upon me. Do you understand that? That's the subtext here, right? 40 years, all those military-aged men who were, who were in Egypt, all of them knew slavery. None of them knew much waiting. They all die. Think about this next generation. The, the 40, 40 years that are of those in the desert, all they know is dependence upon God. They don't know dependence upon Pharaoh. They don't know dependence upon slavery and whatever that was for them. All they know is the stories and the time 
in the wilderness. They know that in the morning they would wake up and that manna would be on the ground. That they would collect that manna and that manna would feed them and that manna was from God. And then they would collect quail and quail would feed them and their family and it was from God. And when they were thirsty, God would provide water, even from a rock one time when Moses goes over and water comes gushing out of this rock. This whole generation that survived the wilderness knew 100% dependence upon God. Waiting on God provides dependence. Dependence. We live in a society in a time where we say things like, do it yourself. This week, my son graduated from kindergarten at the school down the road. And um, it was a really cute and wonderful uh, ceremony. But at one point, <clears throat> they said, we're going to sing a song. And I'm like, great, I love songs. This is going to be fantastic. And we're going to sing the song We've got the whole world in our hands. I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm not even making this up. Some of you are like, that's fine. If you grew up in the church, though, you know the other words to this, right? So the kids are singing, we've got the whole world in our hands. And I'm like, wait, what? what, what? Wait. Like when I learned that, it was, he's got the whole world in his hands. And then and they were like, we've got the rivers and the mountains. And I'm like, oh. Uh, he, but okay, so he, and here's what I thought. I thought, boy, that's a lot of pressure to put on a five year old. That's what I thought. I'm like, wow, buddy, don't mess this one up. You've got the whole world in your hands, apparently, so don't you mess this up, right? Like, let, that's, that's the world we live in, right? That's the world we live in. If you don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. Nobody's going to take care of it, right? Now, now I understand, you know, they should take care and steward the earth and I get that I'm with that all but but like can we understand the messaging here right it's this sense that we don't we don't need to depend on God like we don't even believe in God we don't depend on him we depend on us we've got the whole world in our hands we can figure this out and if if you if you look around at humanity for like 10 minutes you realize we don't have this like, we just don't have this. On our best day, we don't even hit our own marks, right? And waiting teaches us to depend on God. It says, no, 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 you need to rest, you need to wait. This doesn't all depend on you. This depends on God. How much of this life, be serious, seriously, think with me through this, right? How much of this life isn't actually that dependent upon you? I mean, what was hilarious is the kids sang that song and then it snowed 24 hours later and I was like, Eli, did you do that? You know, like, <laughs> right? No. No. How many decisions are actually sort of out of your hands? If you're raising kids and they're about to come in, so claim them, please. How many of those kids are, you like, you know, I got some control, but man, they're really out of my hands. See, we need to grow in our dependence upon God and waiting on him will help us in that. Lastly, Jesus and the temptation. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. 
Jesus' temptation teaches us preparation. Teaches us preparation. So Jesus, before he started his ministry, Luke 4, verses 1 and 2, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. There's something unique about stopping and waiting to prepare you for the upcoming season of life. Bill Gates, one of our local uh, Big Sky residents from time to time up there in the Elson Club. What's up, buddy? He goes on a Think Week. Think Week twice a year where he takes an entire week and he goes to a cabin in the woods where he can't get cell phone reception, where he's limited. Your mother's up here. There you go. Where he has limited cell phone service, where he has limited distractions to prepare himself for whatever is coming. He, in an article I read this week, said that without Think Week, many of the Microsoft innovations would never have come to be. They would have never come to be. Without Think Week, without this week where he waits and he thinks and he just gets away from everything else and prepares for what's coming, some of the greatest innovations of Microsoft would have maybe never been. What if, what if it was even better than that? What if you did some on-purpose waiting time alone just to hear the voice of God to prepare you for whatever's coming Next, what if this was part of your regular habit or routine or rhythm of life that you waited on God, you put yourself in positions of waiting on God to prepare yourself for whatever he had for you? One of my fears about moving to the big city of Bozeman is I'm worried about um, losing touch with getting away. I am. Uh, I'm moving to a big church in Bozeman, which is a very quickly growing community. Um, they're already handing me all kinds of responsibilities. And I'm like, dude, I don't even work for you yet. Okay, back off, right? So, um, but one of the most beautiful things about my time here has been um, that I can get away. That if I drive in 10 minutes in this direction, not even five minutes in this direction from my house, five minutes in that direction from my house, I have no cell phone service. I can take my hammock. I can put it in a tree. And unless you're floating the galaxy, you don't even know I'm there, Right? And I can listen for the voice of God. I can wait upon Him. I can depend upon Him. I can prepare myself for whatever He has for me. I can seek clarity. And in those moments, man, I feel so, so safe. Here's a seasonal reminder as we transition to communion. Don't waste your waiting. Don't waste your waiting. I think that you can waste your waiting. And we spend a lot of our lives in waiting seasons, but I think a lot of times we waste our waiting. I was talking to Todd Meredith this week. I said, Todd, I need to talk to you doing a sermon on waiting, and dude, you, you know, you, you're waiting. So Todd came out of a very successful uh, business, um, very high, high-paced, fast-paced industry was extremely successful in that industry and God called him to leave that industry and leave that job 
and eventually come here to Big Sky. You've been here now for three years without a job after having how many years in that industry? 24. 24 years in that industry, working basically seven days a week, right? And Todd and I were talking, and it just became really clear to me, he's not wasting his waiting. So there's been people that have said to him, hey, you need to get your resume ready. Hey, you need to, hey, are you doing anything? And he's like, no, no, no. Like, I, I spend a lot of time with God. It's not all been easy. Some of the darkest nights of my soul have been during this three years. But I can tell, I can tell you from being around Todd Meredith, he hears God way more clearly than I do. Like, he should have been preaching this sermon, right? But, like, he hears God so, so clearly. And people have been questioning him on this. People have been challenging him on this. People are saying, well, what are you doing next? What are you going to do with your life, Todd? You're, you know, you're, you're wasting your life. No, he's not wasting his life. He's just not wasting his waiting. He's not wasting his waiting. And as we were talking, one of the things we realized is that it's easy to waste our waiting. We can fill our schedule so much. We can keep busy. We can stay distracted. And we can miss out on the gift of waiting. That doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. I mean, sometimes it's going to be extremely hard. But there is a gift in waiting. And for those of you who are in a season of waiting... I just want to encourage you to lean into that moment of waiting, that season of waiting. And for those of you who aren't exactly in a season of waiting, what I just want to give you is a few moments here to practice some of that. Because I think we can be active even in initiating some waiting in our lives. So here's what I want to do. I want to transition to communion. One of the unique things about today is that it's Pentecost Sunday. If you came out of a traditional church calendar, that's the day when we celebrate the disciples sitting in the upper room waiting on the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as they were waiting, the wind began to blow and tongues of fire come, came above their heads and they began speaking in other languages to the people around sharing the gospel in amazing and miraculous ways, all because they were willing to wait on God. And so I want to give us some time to do that this morning. We're going to engage with communion. Kiddos, if you've talked to your parents about this, um, and you guys are all good with it, uh, you're more than welcome to participate in this meal. It represents Jesus' body and his blood given for us to save us from our sins and to prepare a place for us for eternity with him where we won't have to figure it out ever again on our own. Where we will be able to wait fully embracing what he has for us. Where we will, we will seek nothing other than his presence. And this meal, it signifies the forgiveness of those sins. Those moments when we didn't wait on God. Those men, moments when we were impulsive and we, we just didn't wait. We just didn't listen for the voice of God. We went our own way. This meal 
forgives us of those sins and reunites us with God. And as the worship team leads us in a song, here's what I want. I don't want you like sitting up row by row. I know that's how we do it in church, but here's what I want. Okay. Would you just do this for me? Would you just wait? And when you sense this is the time for me to go, then I want you to come and I want you to engage with the body and blood of Jesus. But we are in no hurry. The kids' church is out. It's all good. They got five minutes in them at least, right? So um, just, just wait on God. Allow this time um, to not be rushed, to not be hurried. That this little teeny gift of waiting on God would allow us greater moments of waiting on God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this meal. I thank you that you nourish us through it and you teach us dependence upon you. Jesus, thank you that there is nothing we could do to be saved. That it's only through you. It's only through what you did. It's only through your blood on the cross, your death and resurrection, that we are truly free. And so, God, even in the smoke, would you still us? Would you allow us to wait upon you? Would you allow us, like Elijah, to hear your small, still voice? In Jesus' name, amen.